Welcome to episode 34 of the Ripple League podcast, live from Zoom Studios. I am your host, Chris Lazzarini, joined as always by our stats coordinator, Josh Wittenberg. Josh, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. Enjoyed the day off. How about yourself? Did the same. Did the same. Got a lot of work done on the highlight video in preparation for the upcoming banquet, which we'll get to a little bit later in this podcast. I'm also joined, as always, by our content producer, Justin Florido. Commissioner, how are you feeling tonight? Never been better. I did not have the day off today. I had to work. Well, hopefully it wasn't that bad of a day. Sounds like you were busy, though. It's always busy the week before the banquet, so I'm sure your head's been spinning, your emails have been flowing, and your texts have been jumping. So thanks for joining us tonight and being here. And we're also joined by uh, our special guest tonight, our co-guest special, whatever you want to call it, uh, first year in the league, first time on the podcast, Kevin Boyson. How are you doing, Kevin? Doing well. I also did not have the day off today, but it's good Monday. wasn't bad. Well, we very much appreciate you joining us today. We are going Glad to be here. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. We're going to jump right into something that is uh, pretty far, I think, from our memory banks, given that it happened way back in uh, October. But Wiffle Series. 16 concluded with a two games to one victory, the bananas over the paddleheads. So Kevin, uh, Josh, you know, we were all on the same team. So I'm guessing our point of views are relatively similar, but if you want to walk us through kind of, you know, your thoughts, Kevin, going into that series, you were, you know, it's your first year in the league. Uh, I know you felt pretty good about the team, but you also had a bad through some injuries throughout the year. It was, you know, all of a sudden big stage, you had a lot of people in attendance. What were you feeling like before the game started? And then how did your kind of nerves transition or change as the series went on, especially after losing game one? Uh, yeah, I mean, going in, it was more just excitement being in that series. Uh, obviously, it's my first time going in, but I thought we were going up against a good point, uh, opponent, especially with like Scott doing what he was doing with the bat just kind of not knowing how to deal with that defensively. And, um, you know, obviously Steve's great pitcher. The whole team was pretty good. But, you know, I felt confident in the bananas. I thought we had a – I thought we had the squad to do it. I, you know, I felt confident. And then losing that first game, like, you know, you kind of felt shell-shocked for a second. Like, but – yeah, I think we picked each other up. We didn't get down on each other. And once we got into game two and won that, I, I knew we'd take game three. Yeah, it was definitely a little nerve-wracking after that first loss to have your back against the wall playing with that level of uh, that level of scrutiny and no room for error for the next two games. Uh, you know, one of the things I think that did help us is, you know, when you talk about Scotty, and his transformation that occurred in that, you know, that, that previous postseason series where he turned into a bunting and hitting and slapping monster. You know, what we did as a team before that game even started 
was, you know, our, our captain kind of got us together. Josh, how long did we actually talk on the phone uh, before the Whipple series? And how much do you think that kind of thinking and preparation helped not only in strategy, but also just in teamwork? Uh, we had a Zoom call. Was it the night before or two nights before the series? Yeah, so I can't remember. Before. It was a Saturday night before the Sunday series, yeah. I want to say. Yeah, my my whole idea behind that, I don't even know if it was my idea in all honesty, but um, it was just we hadn't played in maybe two weeks or whatever and just wanted to talk to you guys and just really kind of take the edge off. And sometimes at a series, there's a lot going on. You know, we've got to worry about the cameras, the fence, setting the field up. And, you know, everybody, I think, has their own preparation in terms of when they want to throw, when they want to hit when they want to put their stuff on and everything. And I knew it was going to be cold. So I kind of just wanted to talk through a couple really light items with you guys and just hang out and enjoy being the bananas kind of one last time before we had to play. And I know that for me, at least the goal every year is to get to the Whiffle series. And I think I put a little bit of pressure on myself to try to always get there and to try to always win. And I think, I tried to do a, a better job this year of actually enjoying the process and just enjoying the fact that we did get to play in the Wiffle Series and we got to play Wiffle Ball at all this year with COVID and everything. So it was kind of just an opportunity to hang out with you guys and talk a little bit of strategy, but more just enjoy being a banana. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that was pretty clear. I know that we are still active in our text chain I know we just uh, acknowledged some birthdays recently. So definitely a cool team to be a part of, a nice experience. And that kind of preparation, I'm sure, did help. I historically have been a, a less than ideal performer in the playoffs. I clench up a little bit, and I don't continue to have the same success I've had previously. So this year, I don't know what happened, but I found a little bit of a groove. And I think part of it was what you just described, that kind of relaxed, let's just go out there and have fun and appreciate that we're even getting to play which on that note, JF, you know, we had a, a, an issue going into the season. We knew it was going to be a challenge scheduling. We ran into some, you know, some pretty big hurdles because of injuries and some adjustments late in the season. There was a, was, was there a doubt in your mind that we were not going to be able to finish the season or what did that thought actually seep in? And what, what were you planning to do or what was, uh, what was going through your head as we were kind of scrambling to schedule that last series? Yeah, I don't think at any point I thought that we were uh, in danger of not finishing the season, but uh, I kind of pictured at some point I did have it maybe pop into my head playing into like November, you know, close to Thanksgiving and you, know, you can get some decent weather weekends um, during that time of year. So I did kind of picture that possibility and mostly because, you know, people's schedules were fairly open, but it was that that injury portion with Scotty and, and Kevin getting hurt that, you know, I wanted to include them. I didn't want to have to, you know, replace them, wanted to keep things, uh, you know, we waited so long from the draft to the start of the year. I wanted to keep the group together. So um, yeah, it was uh, definitely a challenging year, but like Josh was saying, you know, I think we all appreciated just the opportunity to do it. Yeah, it's been uh you know, the process that I'm in right now has been, you know, getting the highlight video finalized and it's been a lot of fun. I know JF, you and I have talked about the preparation for the highlight video. You get a chance to watch all of these games again 
and you're not even watching the GoPro, you know, you're watching the handheld version, you're hearing all the conversations. It just is, it's actually a lot of, a lot of fun to go through all that, relive it and to realize the kind of the level, the, the, sorry, the, um, the levity it gave us, right. The, the comfort and the camaraderie that we were able to find in what was a pretty challenging time. And it's fun to go back and revisit those kinds of things. So totally agree. Speaking of revisiting, uh, looking at that Wiffle series as I kind of teased, you know, it started out a game where, you know, Josh, we put, we put me on the mound because that was the game plan all year. I'm going to go out there be our number one pitcher and I'm going to shut them down. We're going to get game one and then we can figure out what makes sense for games two or three. You know, I've always been one who likes to switch up who goes first or who goes second, who goes third. So I was probably looking at having you pitch game two, no matter what, but at the end of game one with seven runs on the board for the paddle heads, what was your thought process? I know that you, you wanted to get on the mound. You wanted to be able to have a presence defensively on the mound. Cause I definitely didn't bring everything I could, but kind of what was your thought process in that first game, watching it unfold the way it did as the captain trying to figure out how to kind of fix us for the next two. I'm not going to lie. I definitely thought we were going to lose in two games. You were, <laughs> you were giving me no confidence that you could uh, get Scotty out. And I remember looking at you and I, I had given you some ideas like, you know, throw high or throw inside. And you're like, I just can't do anything. And you were just like, you were so uh, unable to solve the mystery of Scotty in the moment. And I could just see that you had like no confidence in yourself. And I was like, fuck, we're going to lose. Like, <laughs> this is it. And yeah. like, I, mean, I haven't lost the Wimble series for years. And I was like, well, this is it. This is, it's today happening. And, uh, I mean, realistically, it wasn't even just Scotty. It was Paul nickel and diming me and mm -hmm. Dustin. I felt like I gave up seven runs and gave up, like, two hard-hit balls in an entire game. And I think that's the frustration that I was – that you were seeing and, and the doubt that I was like, I, I can't do anything more than what I was doing. I was executing my game plan to perfection, and I still gave up seven runs. So, definitely some panic setting in there. You know, when you go down – 1-0 in a series you're right I've I mean Jay do you know um can you think back over the previous series have any team that's lost game one come back and won the Whipple series I know it actually I can mm. I can speak to one of them because one of them was on our team the Tortugas yes, yes. one game one <laughs> yeah you and we lost games two and three yes so that was that was the last time it happened and I'm I'm not exactly certain if it's happened before that I can look into that, but okay. that's the one that definitely sticks out to me. And I was actually thinking about that because you guys had a great regular season, as did the Tortugas and Laz. You know, you and I played on that team, and that was easily the most disappointed I've ever felt uh, playing wiffle ball was losing that series. So, you know, and that I, was winning game one. You know, we're, this was kind of the inverse <clears throat> where we were actually one that lost game one. And maybe that was the wake-up call we needed. And for some reason, we kind of settled on the Tortugas and just assumed that we were going to be able to win one of the next two games and got a little yeah. bit too comfortable. Yeah, and I think a lot of that, you know, we were playing tight. So um, just having that having that feeling like you're, you're pressing, you're trying to do too much. You know, I got a little bit of sense of that watching you guys that, you know, there was definitely, I think, some, I don't know if jitters is the right word, but I, I just got a little bit of a sense of that you guys all kind of all four of you were, you know, not playing as you as you normally did throughout the year. Yeah. And then in we game had one. 
<laughs> Josh, do you or have some information series. that can prove game it? One. Yeah. Yeah, game one. Mm. I mean, in game one, our team did pretty well. Like, everybody had – Kevin had the fewest hit. Kevin had the fewest hits on our team. He had two hits. Steve Andrews had three. Laz had three. I had four in game one. So, I felt like – yeah, the, the, if we were yeah. if we were experiencing jitters or struggling or pressing, I definitely think it was on defense and on the mound. I think on offense we were we were pretty much right at our average. I think we were averaging around four runs this year, and we had four. So yeah, yeah and that's that, when I say that. That's what's popping into my head is you guys defensively kind of you know. Like you're saying, maybe some of those conversations like you and Laz were having, I, I was probably picking up on some of that and realizing, like, oh, boy, you know, like, there's a chance they'd lose this thing. Well, especially yeah. because going into, this, going into the series, you know, I have historically struggled actually offensively when it comes to the playoffs. So to have the offense not be an issue, but all of a sudden pitching, the thing that I thought was going to be the easy part was the one that was giving me the most challenge. Kevin, you know, being a part of that and watching, I mean, Josh and I can be a little bit uh, kind of bullheaded and, and argumentative and we can kind of get after each other a little bit. What were you kind of experiencing in that thought process or watching us go through that, watching me struggle, which I don't think you'd really, I mean, this is your first year in the league, watching me pitch the previous six games that I had pitched and almost never giving up more than one run in a game. You know, where were you at confidence-wise looking after game one, especially when, when game two kind of started on that pivotal play, uh, the pop-up that we don't know ever if anybody actually caught that or not, not to bring up the controversy, but, you know, after game one, that loss and seeing kind of where we were at as a team, what, what were you thinking, Kevin, and how are you going to be able to kind of contribute in the way that you could to, to turn us around? Yeah, I mean, I never really got the sense, like, you know, obviously there were plays, uh, you know, people got frustrated over, or just when there were back-to-back -back hits, and, you know, people came around and scored, you know, that's when you start to get down, you know, you give up one run, no big deal, when two more slide across the plate, you're like, oh shit, we're in trouble here, <laughs> like, but I don't think, you know, I never really got the sense that our demeanor, like, really got that low like you know there's always that moment of frustration in the play but I felt like you know even when we weren't doing well like you know you're still like whatever you know what's up next just keep playing like I don't think we ever really said nobody ever really put their head down at the ground and said we're you know we're screwed here so I think just going up and playing you know just taking it one play at a time like the old whatever sayings but you know I think we just played our game and I think we kind of got the sense towards the end that game two is right here. Let's go get that one. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, game, game one was a really close game going into the fourth inning. We were down three to two, and then they broke it open, and they scored four runs in the top of the fourth to, uh, yeah. to, take, a, to take a seven to two lead. So yeah. That's when you can get down, but I don't, I don't know. I don't, obviously, we got pissed, but – I don't think it really broke us. What I know that we had, we had a lot of confidence as a team that if we can get to a game three, that we had a, a pretty significant upper hand given that we had either Josh or me to pitch and they were going to have to turn to Paul to have them finish out that series. And obviously we just know 
no no intentional slight to Paul, but more just the the, big, the drop off from how good Schroeder is, especially how good Schroeder is in the postseason uh, as a pitcher. I think we were we were just crossing our fingers that we could get to a game three, and if we did, I think we felt pretty good that we were going to be able to to put up a big number, and we did end up getting six in game three. I mean, as a series, you know, we scored 13 runs, they scored 13 runs. It was a very, very close series, even if the scores were a couple runs difference in a couple of the games. But yeah, it was, it was really, really hard fought. I think it was kind of in a way exciting that it was in October. It felt like baseball playoffs, you know, it was chilly out there. Yeah. Obviously we had the tent with uh, Brandon's heater uh, you know, we had people in hats and gloves and it was, it was a scene that's for sure. And we had a good, a decent sized crowd, all things considered for the, for the conditions and the time of the year that we were playing in. And I don't know, I was, I, I, I do think about that day with some pretty fond memories, obviously with the wind being the most important part and the biggest reason for that, but it was a pretty special day overall. Having my dad throughout the first pitch was a, a pretty emotional way to get it kickstarted. It was just a, it was a big day. Um, you know, I want to talk more about what the paddleheads were kind of going through. Obviously, it's tough because none of us were on that team, but uh, I don't know what the turning point was for them. As, uh, as we know, they, they were confident going into the series as well. They believed themselves to be the better team, and I don't, think that they, I don't think they shied away from the moment. I think they played a pretty solid game. Uh, but at the end of the day, I said, once you get to game three, we played a pretty flawless game three, and there were a couple of mistakes I know, again, just watching the highlights in the highlight video, there's a pretty big play that um, Paul attempts a peg and allows a run to score uh, that Kevin amazingly eludes the throw and is able oh, to scamper home. Matrix, that will throw up my back doing that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then a close play at second as Steve tried to stretch his single into a double after that <laughs> attempted peg. But it was, like I said, I, I can't speak – I can't say more about that team. They – were feisty they are really hard to get out clearly I struggled with that in game one uh and it just is it's one of the more intense and equal series that I remember happening in in the Wiffle series uh so Josh I'm not sure if you want to throw a few words to your your counter captain or the, or the team that we went up against before we kind of move on to the banquet preview I think he summed it up kind of really nicely at the end when you talked about the intensity. Um, I remember multiple points during the series just thinking, like, this could easily go either way, and this is so intense. Like, every at-bat is so, like, important, and you can almost feel, like, the heaviness of the mood and every at-bat, every pitch, every out, and everything like that. So it was a ton of fun to play. It was super stressful at times, but a lot of times it was just a heck of a lot of fun being out there with everybody, you know, the, an exciting fall feel with many layers and everything like that. And just how important, you know, if you got an out, it was huge. And if you, if you made an out when you were on offense or you got pegged, like that was also huge. And just how many, like, big turns of, of emotion and momentum were going on. It was, I think it was one of the best series that's ever been played in Wiffle, regardless of postseason, regular season, Wiffle series, anything like that. It was just, the tension was palpable and it was a ton of fun. Yeah. And I do think uh, just from like their perspective, like even talking to Scott, 
and to give them uh, a little bit more. I think they were a really good team, and I think they really liked their team, and I bet you if it was up to them, they'd be happy to play with those same players. Like, I think they had a lot of fun together uh, with Steve as captain, with Scott, Dustin, everybody, Paul. Like, I think they love playing with each other, and, you know, I think they're proud. Like, they could have beat us. Like, that could have happened. Certainly. Now, Kevin, can we get a little bit of a breakdown on Schroeder's, air quotes, inside the park home run, your role in that play? It's one of my favorite plays of the year. Do you recall? Uh, oh, God. Give me – give me uh, lead me into it. Tell me uh, the beginning of it. So – it's kind of like a little, I uh, would maybe call it a bleeder down the right field line. Schroeder, I think it's like later in game three, because I remember yeah. he was really trying to pump up the team after that. Yeah, we were up a decent amount. The game was a little bit out of hand, and there yeah. was they were just kind of starting to try to get anything going. Oh, yeah, down yeah, the right yeah. Field I remember line, that one. And Josh had to go chase it down. I was trying to go chase it down, I think, maybe Steve. And I think your brace got like – Really well, that was – was that the one where I, I caught it, like, in the circle, but I, like, basically jump and dove for it? Yes. Yeah, and then so the, he decided to make a move to go home because you hadn't actually gotten back into the circle yet. Uh, and then you, you – I would <laughs> say you attempted a peg, but that's actually a lie. Um, with nothing at risk, with nobody else on base, you faked through it and collapse on the ground. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't, I'd like to say I, I was just being a good sportsman to let him in by fake throwing it. But unfortunately, during the first little routine at the circle, I had jumped in such a way that my shoulder is just an excruciating pain. Yeah. I didn't like notice it first. And then by the time I sort of recovered and kind of got ready to throw it, as soon as I lifted, not even my bad shoulder up, my right arm up to throw the ball, this wrenching pain where I didn't fake the throw. I literally probably almost smashed the ball in my right hand and just hit the ground. Like my vision basically went red and I basically just decided to call off the rest of the play, get down, stop it. And, and I don't mean to call attention to a bad play because Laz can attest to this. For some reason, it's kind of a, this cool phenomenon when you get into the – when all all the stakes in a Wiffle Series matchup, so many great plays. It's crazy. You know, like you go through all – trying to find highlights in all these videos, and when you get to that final series, it's like, wow, that's a great play, that's a great play, that's a great play. Like people are really up their game when it comes to the Wiffle Series. So um, – you had many great plays in that series, I must say, but that one stood out to me. I really enjoyed that play. Yeah, to, to get to get to what he's talking about, I'll, I will tell you this one thing, uh, and I, I have one more question for you before we move on. You were batting lefty for the majority of the series, right? You, uh, I'm watching some of the highlights right now as I'm making sure that you did this. You hit a sack fly lefty in game two. The Steve inside the park home run obviously was a painful thing for your shoulder. But you also had one of the biggest hits in game three when you laced the ball over Balser's head in left field to score both me and Josh. But you did it from the right side of the plate. When did you choose to hit righty, and how much pain were you actually in when you made that choice? Um, so that was by game three. 
So I tweaked it a little bit. I thought I was good going into the game. I thought I could bat righty fine if I wanted to, but without actually like pressure testing it, then I found out otherwise. So for that hit, I do remember that one specifically. I felt pretty good. Um, I remember the pitch and just lacing it. I, that was actually one where I hit it pure. And during a lot of my swings where I swung righty, it's like good, good, good to the swing. And then when it got to the wraparound after that, that's where I'm like, you're an idiot. Why are you not batting lefty? But uh, that one just felt good all the way through and felt good to see it go over Scott's head. Yeah, I mean, um, you were also a catalyst in, um, as we look at, you know, that game three, two outs, nobody on in the first inning, and you single to the left side, Steve singles, gets you to third, they walk Josh, I single, and then is when you, that's when you hit the, the bases clearing double. So that was all started because of a single from you from the left hand, from, from the left side, of the, you know, hitting righty basically. Um, and then that was all, I mean, we scored five runs in the first inning um, with two outs. So you got to hit, Steve got to hit, Josh got walked. I got to hit, you got to hit, Steve got to hit. And we scored, I think five runs. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a huge moment. Uh, we, we appreciate you toughing out the uh the right-handed swings and knowing that it was going to be painful i can't imagine just one more question how is your shoulder doing now that you've had a few months for it to heal yeah it feels a lot better it's like i think now it's just kind of inactivity where it's not getting you know i'm not doing jumping jacks every day or anything like that <laughs> but so no it feels good it feels strong and i test it out all the time uh with weights and then things like that and everything seems to be good there's still just like that lingering tiny little lingering thing about it where it just doesn't seem exactly right but i think you're it's gonna get there it's people just, shouldn't be scared to draft you next year is what you're saying no he'll be strong he'll be stronger than it was pre-injury sounds good so that's it for uh kind of the recap of whipple series 16 uh thanks for those for sticking up sticking around with three bananas talking through the series. Sorry, we couldn't have Steve Andrews on to make it really annoying. But uh, let's take a look now as we move forward to the upcoming weekend. Uh, as you're listening to this, we are only a few days away from the 14th annual Wiffle Winter Banquet. It'll be Saturday, January 23rd at 8 o'clock Central Time. Hopefully we do get guests joining from other time zones. So I'm glad we have the right... Uh, the right time zone identified on that one. Let's uh, take a look at, obviously it's gonna be a, a unique banquet this year. I think I was even talking with you, Justin, earlier this or last week saying, can we just not call it the banquet this year? Because it's definitely not a banquet. It is something much different than that. But I think, you know, there's gonna be some effort made uh, from our hosts. Uh, it'll be once again hosted by Steve Andrews and Russ Anderson to make it feel a little bit like a banquet, despite the fact that we're all gonna be mostly in our own homes. I know there might be a few small watch parties happening, but for the most part, it's gonna be a pretty isolated event. Uh, I know a lot of us hopefully all plan on um, abiding by the dress code that we have put in place in previous banquets. I don't wanna see uh, hoodies out there for uh, your video, but uh, 
yeah, let's just talk before we get into some of the uh, potential award winners. Let's just talk about kind of what are your thoughts, Kevin? I know it's a bummer that your first banquet as a member of the league is not one that we can do in person. I know you've been to a banquet. Have you been to a banquet before? Yeah, I went uh, last year. I'm sure I've been to one or two in the past. Okay. Uh, I don't think you ever made it to Lamps, uh, that Lamplighter, when we had it there. You've been to the one that we've had at Emmett's. So it's not your – it wouldn't be your first banquet ever, but as, a, uh, as the first one in the league and obviously – um, not to spoil spoil this award, but uh, I, you're the winner of the Rookie of the Year award. So hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa! Sorry, don't, yeah. Uh, don't press my luck. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, so just kind of, what are your, you know, where are you at excitement-wise leading into our virtual Zoom banquet? Uh, I'm optimistic that it's going to be awesome. Like, I know it's it sucks not to be able to do it in person. It's such a fun event, but. I think uh, even seeing with the draft and even just all the technological, you know, expertise in this group, like especially with Luke with videos, Laz, you know, that stuff. Like it seems like you guys always just find a way to put something together that's awesome. Like, you know, the videos and things like that are always what I look forward to the most. I think they're just extremely funny and well done. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think people get fun or have fun with it. I, like you mentioned, I'm going to get together with Scott, like Diana, a few people just have a watch party. I think, you know, people are comfortable. You can do little small groups. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just a good little stamp on the 2020 year that the Whiffle League, <laughs> you know, made it through it and was able to do a live kind of telecast of it in lieu of an in-person thing so I'm, I'm excited to see what how it goes yeah I think you know we saw we had some success with the draft and obviously as you said we'll make the best of it Josh kind of where, where your, where's your head at regarding uh regarding a zoom banquet I mean I just enjoy getting together with you three as well as the rest of the league anytime regardless of if it's you know over the phone or even emails and zoom is just you know, even more of a treat to be able to see and interact with you guys. So I'm excited to to enjoy and experience the banquet in a little bit of a different uh, field this year. And I, I know that I'm probably not alone in saying I don't mind not having to scramble and get there early and set everything up and then <laughs> uh, take everything down in my suit and put it in my car when it's like – 15 degrees outside <laughs> trying to get to JF you know, is still intact. Right. So I'm glad that I don't have to uh, put the, uh, the rack in the back of my car so I can put the logo and the TV and everything in it. So, but I think it'll be fun. I mean, I, I haven't seen a lot of you guys in person probably since Wiffle and just to be able to see your faces and, you know, hear the jokes and watch the videos. And I think that that's really uh, what I enjoy the most about the banquet is seeing the videos and, you know, just talking to people and hanging out and the speeches are fun, but uh, I think it's really the, the hosts and the, the people that present the awards. Sometimes, you know, if Brandon or Carly or somebody breaks into song and dance, that's uh that's always a treat. <laughs> and I'm hoping that, you know, with, with technology that they have, maybe they've already worked on another, another song or a dance or both maybe. To, uh, to share and to grace us with. So. 
Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I think, I, again, J Justin and I were talking a lot last week in preparation for the video, but it's going to be very similar to actual award shows where you have the, you know, a video of the people that might be winning the award. We'll be able to see people's reaction live when the announcement happens and not like looking around the room in a dark emits to see, you know, just get somebody getting out of their chair. So we'll have to have some gracious losers on camera. That'll be fun to watch. I'm sure there'll be a few sore losers as well. Um, I'm not sure if Paul's up for an award, but I could see him being pretty, uh, pretty salty if he didn't win. And the speeches will still be able to, you know, will occur. I mean, I, I, Kevin, sorry, just make sure you have a speech prepared just in case you do win Rookie of the Year. But um, I'll scrap yeah, I think it'll be kind of fun. So, yeah, I'm excited for the challenge. I think it'll be unique. But one question I do have for Justin as you look at, what the after party has turned into. Do you have an idea for how we're going to pull off virtual flip cup? Yeah. So I certainly have thought about that and that's like from a production standpoint, I think that's been our objective here for this particular circumstance with the virtual banquet is to try to make it as similar to what we have come to know as the banquet as mm -hmm. possible. I mean, obviously it's, it has many challenges and it's not going to be the same, but you know, we're going to try to kind of have it have that same feel. So kind of do things as we have in the past. And yeah, I would like to, I think during the intermissions, you know, we'll open up the mics and people hopefully will interact and um, probably have like a little like quote unquote cocktail hour, you know, leading up to maybe a half hour or whatever before we get uh, the banquet kicked off and then, Afterward, hey, anything, anything can go. I think that's kind of we could just try to make it as as fun as we possibly can, and yeah, try to maybe figure out some drinking games. That's definitely popped into my because <laughs> we'll probably be wrapped up, uh, you know, around ten, ten thirty, yeah. hopefully. So we'll still have a lot of the night ahead of us, and hopefully we can all hang out and you know catch up and enjoy our time together. I know this isn't a uh, a banquet brainstorm. This is a podcast, but there are definitely going to be opportunities for creativity. I know just what popped in my head is basically breakout rooms. So I could basically create a, a little Google meet meeting and send it out. And, you know, if three or four people want to jump into that one, you can kind of pop in and have some smaller discussions as the happy hour and the post banquet party rages on, play little trivia games. You know, you can, you can do all sorts of things with uh, that kind of stuff. So before we get into some of the awards quickly, uh, one more, Question for JF. Uh, I know you've been relatively involved with uh, with Steve and Russ. Can you give us the smallest teaser of what we might be able to expect for the intro video this year? Oof. Without spoiling anything, what can you give us? Don't say anything. Don't say anything. <laughs> you want to keep it all? You want to keep it all mum? Yeah. Lock it In up. One word. Here's what I'll tell you. This isn't going to spoil anything, but. Uh, they they wrapped the filming today so now it's a matter of putting it together so i got a couple days here to do some editing and uh yeah i think i think people are gonna enjoy it you know there were some obviously some limitations limitations some challenges like everything else this year but uh you know it's the jokes that matter it's the dialogue <laughs> that matters and i i don't think that's going to disappoint all right, sounds good. I look forward to seeing that on Saturday again, uh, January 23rd at 8 o'clock Central. So let's quickly go through some of these awards. 
Uh, I'm going to be asking Josh to provide a little bit of context behind either just the nominations themselves or maybe uh, some insight into maybe the leader in the clubhouse um, as we look at recognizing some of the outstanding performances from throughout the year. So probably going to skip over play of the year because that's simply a vote that the league uh, participates in. But we can at least acknowledge that we had a uh, Russ and Carly play. I believe that was a catch, throw, and peg from Russ to Carly. We have Kevin Boyson, your lefty home run after damaging your wing and switching to the other side before launching one over the right field wall. And then we have Brandon Eckert. I don't remember what the play that Brandon did. He ran in uh, like basically – no, you know, like there's a line drive to the outfield. He sprinted all the way in and uh, tagged the guy right for home home plate. I forget who it was. Yeah, it was a re- really good play. He uh, it was actually Laz. So maybe Laz tried. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. yeah. I've also just edited the video of that. So I was trying to figure it out. I figured that was the play, but it's a it is a pretty great play and. Uh, the sound of it hitting my leg right before I hit the home plate is, is pretty great. So, oh, actually, I, I will give you credit because you immediately said you were out when there's questionable and there's a stand up. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Much to the chagrin of Josh. So, that's his name on the Sportsmanship Award nominee list. <laughs> you never that's, will. Uh, <laughs> that is a, that's going to be a tough sell for a lot of people. So, um, acknowledging the play of the year. And again, the, the voting from the league will determine who the winner is and that'll be announced on Saturday. We will also gloss over rookie of the year. Uh, as we've already mentioned, that should be a pretty clear winner. We look at most improved player of the year. So Josh, I'd love to see some of the numbers behind some of the leaps that our three nominees, Scott Balser, Dustin Eckert, and Carly Soloco, where did they make the biggest jump and where was it recognizable in the stats? Well, we, we know that all three of the nominees were not uh, big pitchers this year. So those leaps came uh, from mostly their offensive um, performances as well as I think some of their defensive improvements. I mean, obviously this is the improved uh, player category. Uh, as far as Scott Balser, last year in the regular season, he batted a little bit under 200, and this year he came in at a crisp 300 on the nose. Um, he also had uh, 375 slugging, so his OBP or his OPS was 675, which is big. Um, not nearly as big as Carly's OPS this year, which was uh, damn near 920. Uh, she came in and. She batted 227 her first year and then sophomore slump under 100 uh, in 2019, but came out of the gates roaring in 2020, and she almost batted 400 on the year. Uh, and she got herself to 20 bases and also uh, had her first home run of her career. So a uh, big-time improvement uh, in a lot of categories from Carly. Uh, her strikeouts were down. Her walks were up. Her RBIs were up. Uh, she had two extra base hits this year, a double and a home run. So she was um, big time improved. And then I believe Dustin was our final nominee. Uh, unfortunately, my comparison is only two people and not three people. But uh, Dustin 
had his second year of batting over 400. Uh, his first one was in 2014 when everybody batted kind of uh, pretty ostentatious numbers because that was the first year of the pitcher circle. Uh, but he's been steadily improving. In 2017, he hit 300. 2018, he hit 341. Last year, he hit 350. This year, 440. So big-time improvement from Dustin. He also had most RBIs that he's ever had uh, – six he had a seven back in 2014 but again that was kind of the asterisk year he had a triple double so he was all over the base pass this year too being on base 20 times just like Farley. so so yeah, a lot of you, improvement if you look at those you know you look at those three as we look at the rest of the awards you have balser nominated for defensive player of the year postseason mvp as well as sportsmanship award Dustin also nominated for Offensive Player of the Year, and Carly gets a call out in Sportsmanship Award as well. But that's, that doesn't mean that they just improved individually. That means they improved enough to be some of the leaders in the league, and that's why the recognition has been so worthy for those three this year. So really exciting to see that kind of leap made by those. And, uh, yeah, that's I, I don't have a, a, a gut reaction as far as the leader – but that's a pretty impressive group and it's definitely changing the dynamic of the league as we look at how teams can be orchestrated with those, with those three performances. I think we, uh, that those nominees and what you're saying, kind of those three players and specifically Carly and Scotty are kind of sprinkled all about uh, in the nominees this year. It really speaks to uh, the great scouting that the uh, the advanced scouting group of the Whipple League has done in uh, bringing in some of these new players, uh, Kevin included in there. He's also nominated uh, for an award this year. Um, actually, two it's, awards. So um, kind of a fun, fun factor there. So all three of those players had their first career home runs this year, Scotty, Kevin, and Carly. So kind of a cool – we had an entire team that didn't hit a single home run, and, and those three all got their first. Yeah, very exciting. Just waiting on Dave now to get one at the open field. <laughs> so looking at, uh, again, kind of a shakeup as you hear some of these names. We have Defensive Player of the Year, uh, Josh, a mainstay as a nominee for that award. I'm not sure how many times, Justin, I know you have some of these numbers. I'm not sure how many times that Russ has been in this list but that's a pretty big nominee nomination for Russ. And then again, what a performance from Scotty Balser out in, in, in left field battling through injuries to get a nomination for defensive player of the year. I know that you and Josh both watch a lot of video and make, you know, the defensive player of the year is harder to make based on stats. It's more of the eye test. So Justin, can you kind of walk us through your eye test criteria for how those three made it into this award category? Yeah, so what I do for this award is actually I chart every single uh, put out or every single play throughout the year. So I actually have the stats for uh, every player in the league. So I go through the, the GoPro video and, you know, some plays are kind of graded a little differently than others based on uh, maybe some extraordinary effort that would be required. So I also chart those. And then, uh, like you said, there is a little bit of that eye test to it. So it's certainly not an exact science by any means, but uh, chart uh, errors 
And I believe this year, thinking of these three nominees, I want to say, and this is not always an indication of, of who wins the award, because I believe we've had it where we've had, uh, you know, Josh has won the award before and, you know, maybe had like three errors or something like that. So, um, but all three of these guys committed less than three errors this year and also made, you know, several extraordinary plays. So, you know, it was really cool to see. And I think you mentioned Russ, I think he won, he was the last one to win the award. Correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, uh, other than you, I know that Brandon has run one in uh, recent memory as has Laz. Um, so, you know, it's not, not always Josh every year, uh, but a lot of that also too is based on, you know, opportunities that individual players get. Defense. Yeah, which is, which is, you know, it's, it can be both hard, but also not hard as a pitcher to be nominated because it's, you, you want to get the nod for pitcher of the year. That's the, that's the role. That's the award that you want to get, but you also have a, a pretty massive impact. I know we saw that in the Wiffle series, Josh, when you took over as pitching, having such an impact defensively as well, uh, not just in the pitches that you throw, but making plays. So definitely a, a pretty impressive group. Yeah, and I'll add, one, I'll add one thing, too, that I, that I also do is uh, some of those extraordinary plays where you're taking away a hit or possibly uh, saving a run, that's another thing that I chart. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like a defensive run save, but not really. But uh, it's certainly something that's taken into account as well. Okay. So skipping around a little bit here, we have our three nominees for Pitcher of the Year. I want to get your opinion on this, Kevin. Um, unfortunately, one of these nominees being me, you can't really speak to because you've never had to actually hit off of me, except for our little simulated game of practice that we did back in July. But as you hear Russ Anderson and Justin Filardo, maybe a surprising nomination, what were, you, what were your experiences in the batter's box against those two pitchers from the same team? So that was the, the last series of the year for us with the number one seed on the line against the Trash Pandas. So kind of what was it like the first year in the league having to hit off of Russ and Justin on that Trash Pandas team? Um, so I remember, uh, I think we played that in week one, right? No, the last week of the season. Oh, we, I, oh I'm sorry, Russ. Uh, yes, so I, Russ just, I just talked us through that. Yeah, with I, the, I, with I was, the number one seed I was already line. thinking. I was already thinking my own, my own <laughs> thoughts. That's okay. People often ignore me when I talk. I do talk a lot. I'm like, yeah, 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 I've heard it. Uh, no, I... <laughs> Uh, both of them, like, uh, you know, I kind of, I think I faced them different. JF, I feel like I faced you more, like, lefty, but yeah. uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's just different. Like, uh, JF, you're more, you know, get it over the plate, uh, you know, kind of put it up there. Like, I don't know. I don't know what my numbers were against the two pitchers, but. Yeah, I think I've benefited over the last couple of years. I think, like, kind of what you're alluding to here, Kevin, is like the difference between me and Russ actually kind of plays to maybe both of our advantages. I mean, Russ was like really, really good this year. And uh, me coming in after him, I think I certainly benefited from that because my style is almost entirely different. So uh, yeah, that was definitely, uh, I think I was benefit. Also too, Josh, uh, who were the other, maybe they weren't nominees, but who, who also had a really good year as pitching. I know we had one that was kind of on the, the, the brink of slipping in as a nominee. The nominee for the third pitcher was uh, really up in the air 
there were three people in the running for the third nominee, and it was really, really tight. The calculated runs against was like point seven five versus or two point seven five versus two point eight one versus two point eight three. And I also went through and I checked. Uh, I did some advanced saber metrics with Wiffle, and I went through and I I calculated actual ERA for those guys and determined, you know, how many runs they gave up and how many runs they gave up on errors and how many batters, you know, got hit on errors and, or got on base on errors and stuff like that. So uh, I feel like the, the third nominee uh, earned it over those other two, but it was super close. And I think I've only had to do those kind of advanced stats one other time uh, and that time it was between the number one and the number two pitcher. So it was a really, uh, a really tight race this year. A lot of, you know, we could have honestly had five nominees uh, and everybody would have been pretty worthy, uh, but rules are rules. We got to only get three, but, but we got it right. So. Yeah. The two, the two, two? Yeah. I was going to say the two on the outside looking. Uh, the at other two were uh, the Dave. professor, Dave Leap and uh, Steve Schroeder. <laughs> yep. Yeah, kind of when you say the professor, I, JF, I think of you as more like uh, getting contact, but kind of making it hard to put it where you want it because you're kind of controlling your pitches. Um, with Russ, I felt like uh, might have been a little bit, I was, wasn't as quick with my shoulder, but it was kind of hard to hit that slider a lot of times. Sometimes it made me feel like a, an idiot swinging at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah the contact. I'm, not, I'm not surprised you said that, Kevin, because uh... – you you actually came to bat this year against Russ Anderson six times and you struck out five of those times and you, the the sixth time you did not get on base so you're all for six with five Ks so yeah so I want to politely say I did not like facing Russ <laughs> we will acknowledge that you faced him lefty with a a, a kind of a, a an injured wing so we will no, give you the benefit of the doubt that next year no no excuses. <laughs> You, you went two for nine against JF with two singles. There you go. Uh, so not, so that, not that great either way. We, uh, we <laughs> won't go much deeper into the postseason MVP just because we covered a lot of the Wiffle Series conversation already. But just to acknowledge uh, Scotty's uh, fantastic performance in both of the series that he performed in, shattering the record for most hits in a postseason. Um, not even remotely close to being touched before. But what's funny is that I believe both Josh, you and I also broke the previous record for most hits in a postseason. So it was a pretty big offensive performance from all three of us in the nominees. Um, and I'm excited to see who will who will take away that award on Saturday. Rounding out the uh, the kind of the last stat-based uh, category here, Offensive Player of the Year, we have nominations from Dustin Eckert, Steve Schroeder, and Josh Wittenberg. Uh, Josh, what were the kind of biggest differences between those three hitters? I know obviously they all had outstanding seasons. That's why they're being recognized here. But, um, you know, you had a surprising season during the regular season where I don't believe you hit a home run uh, until we got to the postseason. So a different kind of performance from you this year. You also were walked a bunch because you didn't have the best protection behind you. It was me. And overall, kind of how do you see the comparison between those three breakdown over the numbers? I know you can only compare two at a time and not all three, but um, where are you seeing the outliers for the offensive stats? 
Schroeder definitely benefited offensively, statistics-wise, from his three home runs, uh, which also led the league this year, uh, kind of a down year for home runs. Uh, but because of those home runs, he was second place in the league with 26 uh, bases. And although his batting average was the fourth highest, uh, Carly, Dustin, and myself had higher batting averages. He benefited from that slugging, which kind of bolstered him and got him into uh, the, the conversation. Dustin was kind of the opposite. He was not a slugging guy. He had 17 hits this year and 15 of them were singles. Uh, he had a single double and a single triple. Um, but he was, if I remember correctly, he led off a lot of games for that team. And uh, Schroeder had 11 RBIs this year. And I'm sure a bunch of those were Schroeder batting in Dustin. And, uh, you know, it sure helps when, when somebody gets on base and Dustin was getting on base this year about 44% of the time. So, nice. um you know, they had a great team and everybody, everybody had good teams this year and there were a lot of great performances. And I think not starting until August, everybody was kind of just chomping at the bit. So uh, for offense, we were kind of spoiled this year. We normally you don't have too many people with, you know, 10 or more hits. And I mean, we had 10 people with 10 or more hits and, seven people batted 300 or higher so it's pretty big this was definitely you know one of the awards that we were talking about people that were on the outside looking in i could not believe it carly was literally one single away essentially from being a nominee so she, she's about as close as you could get and josh and i were kind of in awe of that reality there just like how close it was, you know, yeah. not necessarily that it was her per se, but just like how amazingly razor thin uh, the difference between Carly and the, the third nominee was. And don't envy. We, having we've had that happen before as well. Uh, I think there was a year where the nominee was between like JF and Satry. And we turned, I believe uh, a triple into a double or a double into a single. And that flipped the nominees. It was crazy. So <laughs> You would think that with as many games and as many opportunities uh, as we get to hit the ball, I mean, most people are, are coming to the plate 40-plus times a season that there would be a, some significant spacing between the nominees. But uh, it can be quite uh, nail-biting, and it has been uh, often. So rounding out the uh, the awards, we have Stevie Andrews, Scotty Balser, and Carly Soloco nominated for the Sportsmanship Award, sorry, the Michael D. Hansen Sportsmanship Award. And then we will be recognizing Jason Hillenbrand for the Lifetime Achievement Award for his contributions to the league during his time in the league. So looking forward to seeing who will be giving speeches on Saturday. It does sound like a pretty tight race for a lot of these. And should be a nice night to recognize some pretty impressive performances throughout the year.
Okay, let's move to focus a little bit of a spotlight on our guest host this evening, Kevin Boyson. Kevin, this is your first time on the podcast, so you get a little bit more than just uh, hanging out and contributing to the conversation. We got to get a little more information about you and make sure that league members are able to get to know the newest addition to the league. So I'm going to go through some uh, rapid fire questions to get your pulse going a little bit, do a little bit of word association, and maybe one deep dive question that really makes you think a little bit. So first we have uh, 10 rapid fire questions to get this started. Are you ready? I think so, yeah. Favorite color? Green. Favorite food? Ribs. Favorite drink? Uh, I don't know, beer. <laughs> Favorite kind of beer then? Uh... You know the answer. If you don't say anti-hero. <laughs> In the past, we've done a non-alcoholic drink too. Uh, my favorite non-alcoholic drink is eggnog. Interesting. Okay. Uh, favorite movie. Uh, I'm just gonna have to go to a random one in my top fifteen. I'm just gonna say Four Brothers. Okay. Nice. Favorite uh, favorite musical act? Musical act. Define musical act. Band or artist? Uh, um, electric Light Orchestra. Cool. Jeff Lynn. Correct. <laughs> uh, favorite sport to watch? Uh, football. Favorite sport to play? Mm, volleyball. Favorite activity that isn't a sport, as in a hobby? Is darts a sport? We'll say darts is a good answer. All right. Favorite sibling? <laughs> um, Brian's the only one that'll hear this, so it's Brian. <laughs> Safe answer. Good answer. Um, and then more power, righty or lefty? Or power lefty. Interesting. Okay. Now we got some quick word associations here. We missed one of the rapid fire. I'm curious. Number nine there. I skipped it because it seemed obvious. What's your favorite wiffle moment so far? Uh, championship. All right. <laughs> you never know. It's not, the, it's not the fake throw on Schroeder. <laughs> that might have been my least favorite. Yeah. Other than other than other than intercepting your throw to Laz in the circle. Yeah. How about, <laughs> I was figuring it would be fair to say. Hey, I got other, quick hands. I can't help them. Other than winning a championship, what's your favorite wiffle moment so far? Um. Hmm. If you're uh, like during a game. Anything. Yeah. Or anything. Before the, uh, any of it. Mr. Laz throwing out the first pitch. Nice. Very cool. All right, we're going to jump into some word associations. So as best you can, uh, we've had a lot of guests get this wildly incorrect. Try to only use one word in your response. <clears throat> okay. Hyphens shouldn't count. All right. Ready? Yep. Wiffle Winter Banquet. Fun. Bananas. Peely. So far, so good. 
your beard. Tough. Finch Park. I want to say rough terrain, but uh, uh, ugly. <laughs> Death trap. The Whipple League podcast. Exciting. Steve Andrews. Awesome. Brian Boyson. Awesome. <laughs> Chris Lazzarini. Ugh. Scotty Insightful. Oh, Fun. I thought. I thought your uh, guttural reaction was what you were going with. Uh, I think we got insightful for me. We got fun for Scotty Balser as I talked over you. And the last one, Josh Wittenberg. Can my man be one word? No. Uh, Competitive. Okay. Uh, So that does it for our word association. And is there any question, Josh or Justin, that you have for our guest before we uh, move on to some coming attractions? Yeah, mine's a little open-ended, but uh, try to be brief about it because I did ask, I believe we asked Carly and Scotty this, just like tell us a little bit about like what you do, like just a little bit about yourself, like, you know, where do you work? What are you into? What's your... You know, I think there's some people who like know you fairly well, but there's also members of the league who may not. So, um, you know, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Just like give us, you know, the 30 second version of Kevin Boyson. Sure. Um, yeah, I come from a big family. I'm sibling number five out of six. Uh, you guys all know Brian, I'm sure by now. Uh, but no, mostly for me, like, uh, yeah, I like people around me to have a good time. I like to tell jokes. I like to be funny. Uh, you know, that's why I like a good a good group like this. You know, I didn't I didn't know everyone extremely well coming in, but you know, I think we're all very similar. Where we're good guys, but that's pretty much me. I like to have fun. Like people around me to be laughing. And, and fun gals. And fun gals. I say guys. I have to say this at work too, and I say, hey guys, that's a general people i'll say this you're very good at being funny kevin thank you (laughs) if there was any doubt (laughs) kevin i got a question for you since you know you're the the rookie still i guess um i like to ask this of anybody who's you know newer to the league what did you find um the most surprising about the wiffle league it doesn't necessarily have to be the, the thing that was the most difficult for you, but from, you know, you've known about the Wiffle League before and you've come and watched series and everything like that. But now this year, having been thrown in as a, as a regular full-time member, what were you the most surprised about? Uh, I wouldn't say I was really surprised by anything. I think I actually participated in the Wiffle League a long time ago when it was back at JF's house. And I hit a home run back then too. I don't remember if it was left. But uh you just jogged my memory. You're right. You did play like a pickup game at my parents' house. Yeah. So I, ago. Was that a pickup game? I don't remember, but uh that was a while ago. But I was really surprised uh by anything. I pretty much knew most people going in. Uh there's a couple of people that I knew, uh, you know, met several times, but I was really happy to get to know more 
like Paul and Dave, like I think they're both absolutely hilarious. And I was just really happy to be able to like be around them more and, uh, you know, get to know some of the guys that I didn't necessarily know as well. Yeah, that's uh that makes a lot of sense. It is a, obviously a great group. It's why we continue to do this and it's why we're, rolling into our 17th season in 2021 so it's it's crazy to think about how much history and how much we've grown together as a group and exciting to have people joining that that community that you now find yourself a part of so it'll be the 18th season last we only sorry we only have we got 17 champions you're right yeah i apologize we will have 17 Uh, so I was going to ask you something like, uh, which pitcher do you think is the hardest to hit off of? But based on the numbers, the answer yeah, has to be Russ. So I'm going to go ahead and skip that question. Um, <laughs> and my final question will just be something off, offbeat a little bit that I know about you, but I'm curious what the answer to this is. What is your fastest time for ever completing a Rubik's Cube? Mm. Um. I believe it is. I don't. I don't know the exact time. I believe it's one fifty something. Okay, just under two minutes. <laughs> I'm. St- I'm still. That's waiting, if, actually. Think, if things. If things. If things go well and you get to that last stage, you know you're home free. Yeah, I. Uh, I. I agree, and I think my numbers have to be right around the same number, right around uh, about one fifty mark. All but right. I'm gonna get you the mirror cube. I want to see you do that one. I'm not quite there yet. (laughs) All right. That does it for the going deep portion with our guest, Kevin. Thanks for playing along. And uh, we all look forward to getting to know you better uh, on the field and at future events. what that song means it is coming attractions time here towards the end of this episode 34 of the Whipple League podcast we have the banquet first and foremost coming up on Saturday as we've talked about at length already hopefully all of you listening will be able to attend for at least a couple hours of the night especially those who may have had a challenge attending the event in the past maybe we'll be able to see some more people get your spouses on the camera with you get your kids on the camera with you and uh, make it an event that we all can can have fun with. So that's coming up again on Saturday the 23rd at 8 o'clock Central. Following the banquet, we'll be looking at the next Whipple Leadership Council meeting to discuss the draft, to discuss any potential rule changes. You all know what that goes into. I'm sure most of you don't listen to the recordings because I can't imagine anybody being that interested in what we talk about for three hours but that will be scheduled and coming up probably sometime in February. We will then be releasing the 2021 captains on Monday, March 1st. So pencil that date in your calendar as uh, one to be checking your email. And then we will be doing episode 35 of this podcast 
to recap the 14th annual banquet, as well as jump into a 2021 draft. So that'll be taking place after the captains are announced sometime in March and before the draft. So before we sign off for the night, want to go around the horn and just see what the uh, little tidbit or nugget that you find to be the most important as a takeaway. So we will start with you, guest host Kevin. What is your takeaway from this episode? I was hoping you wouldn't start with me. Um, no, I mean, I think it's just, uh, you know, it's cool to see a thought and the preparation that goes into everything in the league, uh, whether it's just taking care of the stats, you know, really putting thought in to the awards. They're not just random names, like things are analyzed and thought of, uh, you know, pretty tightly and just have all the preparation. It's just cool that you guys care so much and uh, are willing to get together and talk about something you guys love to do. Awesome. Thank you. Josh, what about you? Kevin, you might say overanalyze those stats. Um, <laughs> my takeaway is uh, kind of what Laz alluded to. Uh, we see a lot of Scotty Balser, a lot of Carly Soloco, a lot of Kevin Boyson on the nominees this year. So it makes me think that, you know, when our time is up, uh, the league will be in good hands. And I'm really excited to see who the next person that we add to the league is. And hopefully that person will be nominated for awards outside of just Rookie of the Year. I couldn't agree more. Justin, what do you have for your takeaway? My takeaway is the uh, psychological phenomenon of Laz not recalling being pegged at home on an amazing play by Brandon and then Kevin not recalling, a, a, in my opinion, maybe my favorite play of the year, uh, <laughs> which he uh, threw the ball directly into the ground. But I realize now that was mostly uh, due to uh, excruciating pain piercing through his body. So, uh, you know, they kind of just wiped that clear of their uh, conscience and didn't recall either one of those. So I, I found that to be uh, quite funny. A mental... Yeah. Uh... When you go through trauma, sometimes your brain just blocks it out. I think that's, uh, that's definitely something, something to think about. Mental and, uh, defensive. And, uh, and I guess my takeaway is, you know, what we kind of spent a lot of time at the beginning talking about, which is just what was a pretty epic uh, Wiffle series. It was an emotional one for me, and it's one that's going to be my memory for a very, very long time. So that is definitely, that's my takeaway for this one. So um, that's my takeaway from tonight. So, so thank you all for listening. That does it for episode 34 of the Wiffle League podcast. Again, I am your host, Chris Lazzarini. Kevin Boyson, thank you so much for jumping on and being the guest host tonight. Josh, as always, appreciate the stats support. Uh, we know we have access to those stats, but it's always better hearing it from your mouth and not mine. And Justin, of course, thanks for getting these organized and keeping the league going. So that does it for this episode. Looking forward to seeing all of you at the banquet on Saturday and talk to you all very soon.